Hello guys, how are we doing? Welcome, welcome, thanks for tuning in. This is the sound of the start of your week. The Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod, sponsored by Betfair. I am Ali Maxwell, he is George Ellick, and the reason that my tone is like this is because we've got a lot to get through today. A significant weekend in the EFL, from 15 draws out of 36 last Monday, or last weekend rather, to only 6 from 36 this time around. George, once Millwall stopped drawing, you know things are getting pretty lively. This is a busy show. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I've got quite a fun day planned. This isn't the highlight of my day. Normally speaking to you on a Monday is is the best part. But I'm playing. I'm playing. Uh, I thought I said playing football. Playing golf with football royalty this afternoon. Uh, the one and only Clive Tildesley. So I'm very excited to be doing that. Uh, you know, you mentioned our media work. Well, nobody is quite as uh, as well versed. Um, no pun intended as uh as as clive is uh in terms of, of media work and football so yeah i'm delighted i've never met him before so really excited to be playing with him um hopefully you know we're playing in a few hours so hopefully i haven't gone too early and he's gonna late be a late pull out but um yeah looking forward i'm just wondering like when i hit a good drive is he gonna say good drive and the kind of voice that's gonna send shivers down my spine and you have to say it was coming <laughs> it's funny that because i'm playing football with golf royalty colin montgomery and you're playing golf with football royalty oh, clive tilsey where does monty play <laughs> left back <laughs> really yeah, yeah. right-footed left back or yeah, is, he, is a... he one of those guys who's, who's, who's right-handed but left-footed he's the uh he's the the olden days version of aaron hickey the young scottish fullback who's right-footed yeah, but yeah, plays nice. left back uh what a waste of time that is which we don't have we don't have time to waste. By the way, guys, obviously with international break, a lot of League One games called off as per last international break. No championship action. So next week will be mostly League Two with a bit of League One sprinkled on top. So this week, let's go a bit bigger on the championship. Uh, with apologies, we will cover the League Two action over the weekend, but it might be a little less in-depth than usual. We will make up for it next week, but we're going to dive headfirst into the championship. The greatest league in the world, the most unpredictable league in the world, George Ellick. Sammy James, who runs the excellent Fulham podcast, Fulhamish, tweeted over the weekend, I'm thinking about how Fulham lost 4-1 to Coventry, who lost 5-0 to Luton, who lost 5-0 to Birmingham, who lost 4-1 to Fulham. That sums it up perfectly. This Coventry-Fulham game, the early game on Saturday, was a cracker, you have to say. Fulham won up at half-time, and then bang, 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 bang. Uh, comically poor play from Gazaniga, uh, and then Reem Anonima uh, allowed Gyokoresh to score. Nice, uh, unselfish assist from Callum O'Hare, who won the ball high up the pitch, as he tends to do. Then a terrible dive from Matty Godden. One Coventry, a penalty, which put them 2-1 up. He scored that. Then Matson who played a sweet crossfield ball for Darbo, then picked up the uh, clearance from Darbo's cross and sent a sweet strike into the far corner and then a sensational golden assist for nine-goal Gyok, as I'm calling him. It was a, a sensational 25-minute blitz at the Rico. Uh, a helping hand, you'd say, for the first two. Firstly, from the Fulham mistake. Secondly, from the referee. Uh, and then riotous quality for goals three and four. George, six wins out of six for Kov at home. Yeah, a performance so good from Jokeres that um, Sweden looked at it and thought, yeah, sorry Zlatan, you're coming out of the Sweden squad, we're <laughs> going to bring this guy in instead. <laughs> uh, a great day for him. I'm still trying to work out if that G is silent or not, and your five, your six-goal Gjok is pretty um, <laughs> reliant that it, that it isn't. Nine-goal Gjok, please. Thank you. Sorry, sorry, nine-goal Gjok. Uh, yeah, they... I mean, I... 
I was on Five Live on Saturday when when the Mitrovic first goal went in and Chappers came in and kind of asked me and Andy Reid a question as to why, you know, Mitrovic was so good at the Championship and, and not so good in the Premier League. And I and I, I ended my answer by saying, you know, given the way that Fulham are going so far this season, I think we, we're going to, you know, Mitro's going to get a chance pretty soon to, to try and prove himself at the top level again. Well, I didn't anticipate that there were going to be four more goals in the game all going for the home side, which did quite a lot to dent those um, positive thoughts around them i mean the key thing you mentioned gazaniga there and it, and it does strike me as as quite odd that gazaniga is their first choice keeper ahead of rodak um you know rodak feels to me like a keeper who's proven himself to be more than capable at this level um he played a, a pretty big role in um, in the carabao cup as well made some decent saves in the shootout um yeah, it just seems a, a bit odd to me that that, that is the case because Gazaniga hasn't really covered himself for glory all season. But that is a mere footnote on what was just a, a brilliant Coventry performance in the second half. And it was all about everything we associate with this Coventry side. It was it was the high press that basically got them their, their first couple of goals and got them back in the game. Um, O'Hare at the kind of front and centre for both um, the first goal and and then in, in terms of Godden's dive for the penalty as well. I mean, it was a dive. We, we have to say that. Uh, it absolutely was not a penalty and it is those decisions. If it's not given, if Godden's booked for the, for the, for the, um, for the offence, then we have no idea how this game would turn out. Um, I also loved Jokerez's reaction. I don't know if you saw this to, to Matson's goal. Where he did, it wasn't. I mean, it was a great finish for Matson. Like, I'm not taking anything away from him, but it, the goal wasn't as good as Jokerez's reaction. Where all he did, he was he was the person, the player standing closest to the strike. You know, Matson hit it from left from the left edge of the of the box into the top right hand corner. Everyone runs off into the corner. Jokerez just puts his hands on his head and looks round as if he's just seen the most incredible goal of all time. And it, I mean, it was a, it was a nice goal, but it was it was uh, yeah, it didn't really fit. A disproportionate reaction. Exactly. But I think that is, it shows the feeling, I think, at the moment at Coventry. It shows the incredible good vibes that they are thriving off at the moment. Um, that, the, I mean, the the Rico is just an incredible place to be, to, incredible place for these players to play football, an incredible place for these fans to go and watch their side. And to be, to be so well beaten in midweek and then to be 1-0 down at home, to a you know arguably the best team in the division and to, to to put on a performance like that in the second half you know we've seen so many times teams who have a fast start you, know, you look at AFC Wimbledon for example in League One you look at what's, what's happened with Birmingham teams have had a fast start when often when they get their first bump in the road and you know that Luton performance and result was more than just a bump you can see things turn very very quickly so I'm yeah I think that second half performance from Coventry I think the second half performance from Coventry and pretty much the whole performance from Stoke on Friday night are two of the most impressive performances we've seen from any side in the EFL this season. Having seen them in the flesh at Kenilworth Road on Wednesday night, a team that looked like they'd never played together before, particularly Matson and Clark Salter had a torrid time up against Cornick and Adebayo, mm. Bree down that right side as well. So um, really, really good stuff all round from Coventry. I think they benefited from that 5-0 defeat being in a midweek, so we didn't get to dissect it on the pod. You mentioned Stoke 1, West Brom 0. That is where we will go next. The Stoke performance was fantastic. Why don't you keep up the momentum from that last fantastic answer and tell me what you loved so much about it? 
you're just phoning in today, aren't you, mate? You're just going to get me to do all the answers. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's nice to get my own little chance to have my monologues. It was um, it was amazing Friday night. I mean, we, you and I were in at Sky, and um, I fancied West Brom, if I'm going to be honest. Not because I haven't been impressed by what Stoke have done, but I thought that the absence of Romain Sawyers, who couldn't play because he was on loan from West Brom, the absence of Sam Klukas, you know, for Joe Allen to come into, off the back of an injury, to come into a game that we anticipated to have such a high, to be so intense, effectively. Uh, I thought they were going to struggle to cope, but they didn't just cope. You know, we, we've seen this West Brom side fairly regularly in the last few weeks uh, struggle to beat teams. You know, they drew one all with, with Millwall, they drew nil nil with, with Derby, they drew one all with Preston. But in all those games, they've caused the opposition a lot of you know, a lot of issues and it's it's mainly been the goalkeeper from the opposition who's come out of the game as the star having prevented West Brom from picking up all three points that just wasn't the case here Stoke with a dominant side throughout uh, West Brom's press didn't really work like Stoke had a fair amount of possession and were able to keep it quite well West Brom's high line you know we see with Ishmael so often they play with that high line but it normally isn't really penetrated from balls over the top. It was consistently every time um, Stoke turned them. It, it felt like they were they were going to have opportunities to do so. They missed one of those opportunities was Jacob Brown um, latching onto a to a ball over the top and and, and with a very easy one on one chance um, hitting the woodwork. Uh, Sam Surridge missed a penalty. I, I have no idea. I mean, this is nothing against Sam Surridge, but when you've got um, Vrancic and uh, Nick Powell on the pitch you'd have thought maybe there would be uh, better dead ball penalty takers um, Sarage never looked confident he missed a fairly easy opportunity just before as well uh, obviously he's desperate for a goal but I think it was maybe not the best decision to give him that that penalty and then a brilliant goal from Nick Powell um, with an assist from Tommy Smith that I think has gone massively under the radar with a, you know an amazing little kind of drag back and then clip over the top uh, some fancy footwork that I didn't necessarily know that he possessed so and then, and then an amazing finish from from Powell as well who looks like he you know he's been such a big player for Stoke over the last couple of seasons but I think the way that O'Neill is looking to play this season with having Vrancic in there having Sawyers when he does play just a couple more ball players just suits Powell because he's now able to really we know that he's very good in the air. We know that he's good. He's a good goal scorer, but he can focus now on that part of the game and being effective in the th- in the final third. Stoke were brilliant. They were just there. There was it was kind of in, unable to fault their performance. A couple of times where at long throws or set pieces, the ball was pinballing around the box of it. But you expect that. But apart from that, West Brom couldn't really lay a glove on them. I think with Stoke, you know, this was their sixth league win of the season already, and. I was almost waiting for one that I could definitively say, yes, amazing performance, deserved win, and and have no caveats, which probably quite annoying for Stoke fans. But their first three wins of the season were opening day against a Reading side who simply weren't ready for the season to start, 3-2 win. Then they beat early Russ Martin, Swansea, who clearly, uh, from that performance, still had plenty of teething issues, particularly when passing out from the back. Then they beat Forrest under Hewton. I think Forrest had like three shots total in that game. We know they weren't in very good nick. They got past Huddersfield without shining necessarily. Uh, And then they drew with Barnsley, lost to Derby in quick succession before putting away Hull with really Vrancic and Powell magic, the difference rather than an amazing performance. So I guess I kind of felt like, okay, good start to the season, five wins in 10 games, but I'm not seeing dominance. I'm not seeing 
good teams getting beaten, to be honest. And that was blown out the water on Friday night. Super, super impressive. And, and now you compare them to the other sort of top teams around them. If you look at the underlying numbers, Stoke, uh, not as good as the other top five or other top six teams from open play in terms of chance creation uh, so far this season. But the set-piece excellence and the threat with the, li- the delivery, particularly from Vrancic and Suter and Ostergaard and others coming up from the back, that more or less fills the gap. And then the big question is, how much does Tyrese Campbell add to them in open play going forward? Because Jacob Brown is a good player, but I suggest if you look at that lineup from Friday night, that his spot is probably uh, the one that Tyrese Campbell is most likely to take when he comes back. And if Campbell is one of the league's best attackers, as he was for the first four months of last season, then how much does that increase Stokes' open play output? Because even a a 20% improvement on that front for for Campbell to bring, along with the excellence of Powell, as you've mentioned, the excellence of Rancic, as you've mentioned, the wing-backs doing really well. Then you have to wonder how good this Stokes side can be. We're going to have to wait and see on that front. On the wider question about competitive balance in the Championship, I took quite a big shot at it about a month ago, didn't I? After Fulham and West Brom's uh, fast starts, I said I was concerned that, uh, you know, its label as the the best league in the world, the most uh, unpredictable league in the world, had been chipped away at too much and and competitive balance had been lost. How wrong was I to go so early on that? Because in the last few weeks, (laughs) Fulham and West Brom have shown themselves to be plenty fallible. They have done. They have done. I mean, I I would say in your defence... one-off games don't serve as huge evidence for the um, competitive nature of leagues. You know, you look at the Premier League where there is no denying there is a massive disparity between the top sides and the rest of the division, but you still quite regularly see those teams dropping points against them. It's more just the case that when you look at the table at the end of the season, you can be pretty much guaranteed that there will be four teams, I think, this season who are going to be about 10 points clear of the rest. I think that might still be the case for the Championship. Um, I think that Bournemouth... West Brom and Fulham just have too many quality players that their um, their superiority against the rest of the league in time will tell in their points tallies. You know, I don't think that because Coventry were way better than Fulham in one half of football, that necessarily changes the fact that at the end of the season, we can anticipate that Fulham will have more points than them um, because of squad depth, because of just individual quality and other and other things. You know, Coventry would have to it'd be incredible and an amazing achievement for them to maintain that level throughout the season. So yes, I mean, definitely given the fact that Stoke and Coventry sit in third and fourth at the moment and they both didn't just beat, but were massively good value for their victories. You know, even though the the Stoke result was only one nil, the margin of of superiority was was far bigger than that. Yes, it it is promising. And it means we should have a, a more competitive division this season but I'm not changing my mind off the back of one weekend that the chances are that Bournemouth, Fulham and West Brom will rise to the top. Coventry and Stoke will have a, a massive effort to keep pace with them for the whole season. I hope that, I mean, I'd love them to do it and I hope that I'm wrong. Um, and there's no denying that this weekend was a, a a big one for the chasing pack and a big one for, for those of us who want it to be as competitive as possible and, and who, and who will generally as a neutral route for the underdog. Um, but I wouldn't go, you know, I wouldn't be tearing up your, uh, or, or I wouldn't be deleting that podcast from our from our library just now because you're embarrassed about that opinion. I, I think it still might age quite well. 
if I deleted every podcast in which I or you said something embarrassing, then we wouldn't have many on the feed, I think it's fair to say. But let's talk about the, the team from the mouth of the River Bourne. Our league leaders, of course, 25 points from 11 games and three more on the weekend, beating Sheffield United 2-1, the Cherries. It was the first time they'd been behind this season when Morgan Gibbs-White scored a quality goal thanks to an excellent piece of creative play from Billy Sharp. But they weren't behind for long because a penalty, uh, a horrible, horrible tackle from Ender Stevens on Dominic Solanke, uh, which was almost sort of glossed over because the big talking point was, was it outside or inside the box? I think, and we looked at this for a long time on Quest, that it's one of those where initial contact is outside the box, but there's so much, there's so much movement in the next second or so that the foul probably continues inside the box and therefore the penalty is, is the correct decision. But Bournemouth march on, don't they? It was, it was impressive resolve. Scotty, Scotty Parker was clearly delighted most of all with how they responded to going behind for the first time, you know, 10 games in a row without actually conceding first or going behind. Uh, and they responded so well. They've got the best defensive numbers in the league now, Bournemouth, which is pretty impressive. Uh, only four goals conceded from open play in 11 games, only two goals from set pieces. That's how you stay unbeaten. And Ryan Christie, who I was so excited about them signing, uh, has not only come and taken David Brooks's spot on the right side of that 4-3-3, but also it's his to keep with performances and moments like this. His intensity, winning the ball back uh, in in Sheffield United's half and then carrying it forward and setting up Billing with a clever pass. Uh, he has started excellently. As you have to say, uh, has Morgan Gibbs-White for Sheffield United. That is three goals, two assists in his first six games for them. Uh, but it's an interesting one, isn't it, George? Because there's now 13 points between Bournemouth and Blades. You have to say that is a fairly large gap for two teams who, from this moment, we'd expect to pick up quite a lot of points between now and the end of the season. But Bournemouth with a, a massive head start uh, on Blades at this stage. Yeah, um, a, a big head start. And they, they looked just pretty... It's, it's hard to pick any holes, really, in them. Uh, it was interesting that Scott Parker tried to shuffle his pack against Posh in midweek, tried to rotate. Um, you know, he brought Brooks back in. He played Christie at 10 brought Morgan Rodgers on for Jade in for Jade Nantes well uh brought Jack Stacey in and and it didn't work um the fluency that we've kind of become associated with this consistent Bournemouth side you know it's so weird when you think back to that opening day of the season where if you told us if you told if you told us then how losing Anthony you know rotating him out and rotating Brooks back in and stuff was going to end up being their downfall for a game it would have seemed bizarre because it seemed like such a threadbare side at the time but he tried something new and it didn't work and he reverted straight back to the system and the team that had done so well previously this season. You know, Christie back out on the right, Anthony Anthony on the left, either side of Solanke, Pearson back in midfield, Smith back in at right back, and it worked really well. So it's going to be interesting to see what Parker now does because he tried to rotate. It didn't work. He reverted back to the norm and they picked up points again. It's a long season. He's going to have to rotate at times, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that would spook him a little bit. On Blades... A quick bit of five live research that I did just in case any Blades fans are listening and want to be um, just want some kind of promising news. Maybe I kind of look back at Slav's time at Watford and, and Fulham. And we've always said and we've said that a lot that both at Watford and at Fulham, his teams took some time to, to come to the boil. But I, I forgot just how ridiculous it was. You know, at Watford, he won just two of his first eight games in charge. Then in the last 18 games of that season, they lost two and, and won 13 of them. Then at Fulham, it was even more, it was over a longer period of time, but even more ridiculous. He only won two of his first 15 league games at Fulham. 
two of 15. So I think that's worse than what's going on at Blades at the moment. And then before the playoffs, um, they went on a, a 19 game unbeaten run, winning 15 of them. So I think the, the message here is just to, to keep the faith. We're seeing the way that Slav likes to play coming out now. Like they, they, they keep the ball very well. It might sometimes seem fairly stale. But there is method to his to his ways. You know, he is somebody who's proven that not only can he create a very, very good championship side, but a team that just completely blitzes other teams in the league who just go on these ridiculous winning 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 runs and nobody can stop them. Whether that'll be this season, like it was at Watford, or next season, like it was uh, at Fulham, we don't know yet. But I would be fairly confident that he will get there eventually. It's just going to take some time. All right, let's put our foot down a little on the accelerator here because still quite a lot to get through in championship terms. We'll start with Cooper's Troopers. Birmingham nil, Nottingham Forest three. What an excellent week for Steve Cooper and for Nottingham Forest who, with back-to-back wins, leap outside of the relegation zone and can start looking upwards. They're all the way up in 17th now, nosebleed territory for sure. And it was Lewis Graben's week, I think you have to say, because... In midweek, they were 1-0 down and Graben only came on after an hour and almost immediately played a, you know, dropped into the sort of nine and a half space that Harry Kane seems to have made his own. Played a brilliant ball through uh, to release Johnson, who squared it for the goal. I can't remember if I'm getting the exact personnel right. Um, But then they scored three goals in half an hour, one in the end, fairly handily 3-1. And then in this game against Blues, Graben starts from from the front. Scores a brilliant goal from 25 yards. Uh, links play really nicely. Again, just dropping in a little bit and allowing uh, Johnson particularly to try and run in behind and use that speed, stretch defences. Combining well with Zinkenagel, who's had a hell of a, a week as well with one goal and three assists in those two games. Uh, and, and a word for Bree Samba here as well, George, because first season when Forrest almost made the playoffs, uh, that was mostly down to some excellent shot-stopping from Samba in his first season at, uh, at this level. And then he suffered the championship goalkeeper curse, which actually hit him pretty hard, you have to say. Resulted in, in Hewton dropping him for, for Horvath. Was that his last game or second last game? Turns out Horvath wasn't very good either. So Samba back in goal, made some huge saves here because it, it probably wasn't a nil-three game on balance. Uh, and he was the man to, to sort of, uh, as much as Graben and Zink uh, were excellent, um, Samba probably the star man I would say for Forest here so uh, great start for Steve Cooper as for Blues they started with 11 points from six and now they've got one point from their last five George I I, I know that I suffer a lot from confirmation bias but having gone quite big pre-season about how Lee Bowyer's teams often seem to swing from the magnificent uh, where everything is great and everyone's being praised to the fairly poor and everyone seems quite despondent and, and criticism comes as it did after this game uh, it kind of feels like more or less what we were expecting but overall still you know nothing to get hugely worried about I don't think it, no um, but no but <sighs> no but the, almost the reason why I'm concerned is because I don't think they're playing particularly badly I think they're, they are getting um, unlucky consistently and, and the, you know the data of these games reflects that Birmingham looked by far and away the more likely team to take the lead here until Lewis Graben decided to smack one top right from 25 yards. Um, it's whether or not the performances maintain... I, I think it's going to be hard for them to maintain these performances given how bad the results are, if that makes sense. I think, um, quite simply, they could be putting in this level of performance, picking up points, and everyone, and everyone would be fairly happy. But because they have lost 
for the last five games because they've scored one goal in those five games because they haven't scored in the last four things look a lot worse than they are whereas actually I think uh, I don't have the exact figures to hand but I think the xg for those four games is about four so they are they're just not getting the rub of the green they come up against against keepers who are in very good form you know you mentioned Samba there who um, even though the best save he made was at nil three so wouldn't have changed the game um, he made plenty of saves in the match and was probably man of the match on the day as well so I just it's it's whether or not Lee Bowyer will trust in what they're doing at the moment which I think would would see them safe or if because of the poor form they try and implement changes which I think is where problems might arise that will sound very strange to some Birmingham fans who are probably not very happy about their the current run but I, I think there's enough in the performances to, to to suggest that they would probably be okay I think this is just a an unlucky bad run now we had two three twos or rather a 3-2 and a 2-3. QPR 3, Preston 2, Peterborough 2, Bristol City 3. Which of those two would you like to talk about, George? I think Peterborough 2, Bristol City 3. Um, this was, yeah, I mean, a, a fairly open game um, where both sides at 2 all um, probably thought that they were at half-time um, deserving of being ahead, I guess. Um, Sammy Smodix against his old club. I, I liked... Um, you know, I, I bumped into Sinead Bird, who is a Bristol City fan, uh, before going to West Ham against Brentford yesterday. Squad legend. And she, squad legend, exactly. And she um, she was at the game as a Bristol City fan and was saying how Sammy Smodix twice, both times he scored, kind of cupped his ears towards the away fans, which she appreciated the, <laughs> the um, yeah, uh, rather than being one of those Larry fans, you know, it's what football's all about. I oh, think to be is, fair, is after, the idea. after the second goal, he, he then apologised. It, and then as he jogged past them, sort of put his hand out as if to say sorry. It's like, we can't have it both ways, Sammy. Go for it, mate. I saw that. I was about to say that. I know. I know. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So, and then Williams um, did one of the worst celebrations I think I've ever seen where he tried to bounce the ball to catch it dropped it, then tried to kick it in the air so he could catch it again and just booted it in front of him. So that was exciting. Um, I mean, this is a big result for Bristol City. They are a side who just need to get as many points on the board as possible now in order to kind of weigh up where they could assess where they can finish. They're currently ninth with 16 points, which will give some fans some hope that maybe they could be an unlikely contender for the playoffs. I, I personally don't really think it's likely. Um, I think that they are getting points on the board to make sure they're as far away from relegation as possible so that by December, January, they can weigh up whether it's going to be a mid-table finish or if they can push on further. Um, but it's been a, a very good start of this, to the season for them, and it's good to see them now able to score the amount of goals to get them 3-2 wins, because for times last season, they were just so completely abject as an attacking force. Um, so I'm delighted that Nigel Pearson's managed to fix that. But for Posh, this is frustrating again because they seem to be putting in fairly decent performances at home and not not really except for the 3-0 win against Peterborough not really getting anything for it you know they they lost this one having scored twice taken the lead twice um they were good against Bournemouth in the first half in midweek um they felt like they deserved at least a point against Baggies a, a few weeks ago um I, I kind of just wish and I know they scored for two here but I do wish that we saw Darren Ferguson maybe I, I think Peterborough's best way out is to be aggressive and be attacking because they've got the players, you know, they've got Dembele and Smolix. I know Clark Harris has been very out, out of sorts so far this season, but I feel like playing those three, taking the game to teams, doing being the Peterborough that we recognise from last season of being 
a very attacking side. Um, I, I think if they're going to try and sit on games, not that they did that on Saturday because Bristol City were a team they could go at, but I, yeah, I wonder if they need to be a little bit more, a bit more ambitious in the way they're looking to play at this level. I know what you're saying. I've got a stat to back it up. Posh have taken 20 shots fewer than anyone else in the league, uh, which doesn't reflect too well on a, a side that we expect to attack, especially because at the other end, I believe they have the worst defensive record in English football at the moment. I must admit, I'm pretty concerned about Peterborough. Uh, I'm not going to go too in-depth about it this time round, but I look at the squad and I wonder why the summer went how it went and how they've ended up in the situation that they're in. Uh, I don't hold a lot of hope for them right now, to be honest. I think it's all a little bit of a mess. Uh, although, as you mentioned, they didn't play horrendously here. I'm just projecting forward and there's so much that needs sorting out. I'm not necessarily sure that they have the players to to do that right now. Okay, uh, QPR 3, Preston 2 was equally entertaining and equally back and forth because QPR took the lead and then Preston took a 2-1 lead. Um, the second goal, really nice bit of play from Preston, the sort of slick attacking football that we haven't necessarily seen too often from them this season. Uh, but then QPR came roaring back. Uh, Lyndon Dykes gets the headlines for just an amazing piece of play. Uh, a a pass made with his head uh, fr- from the floor with his head, I should say, because a pass made with your head is not ordinarily particularly interesting, um, uh, which helped to create a goal, albeit the assist that he actually got was a few seconds later with his foot. Uh, but his goal was quite weird as well, where there was a sort of blocked shot in the box and the Preston defender, I think it was Cunningham, was basically sitting with the ball between his legs and Dykes just toe punted it from between his legs into the corner it was all quite weird it kind of summed up the whole day um big Ilias chair with a, a slick winning goal as well what a noise they make at loftus road so tight mm. to the pitch i love that ground um and it was a great it was just a great day a great week for qpr uh, who had had a, a tough run they beat Prest, uh, birmingham in midweek and preston here i still think their top six credentials at this stage look like they could be undermined by a pretty poor defensive record the, the extent to which they seem to concede two goals in about 80% of their games is going to make things quite tough for them. But uh, it was all good here. Uh, they've had to cope with some issues at left wing back, particularly Chris Willock has been filling in for the last few games. So they will hope to welcome back McCallum and or Lee Wallace after the international break and things might look a little bit more joined up at that point. We then move on to two 1-0 away wins, George. Cardiff nil, Reading 1, Barnsley nil, Millwall 1. Where are you going this time? Cardiff Reading um, because I, mean, I hope this isn't going to age very quickly uh, because at time of recording there's there's no news coming out of Cardiff about a, a, any managerial changes um, but off, after the run of form they've been on you know, I think um, on Championship Manager 0102 it would be Mick, Mick McCarthy very insecure on the job security page Amazingly if you think about it of all 72 managers I reckon as a man he's probably the least insecure or at least, at least in the top five, it's a profession where paranoia is mostly unavoidable because of of, of how many people are constantly scrutinising your performance. But I think he really doesn't care about that too much. I think this was a game, given you know when your luck's out, your luck's out. Because Cardiff did not deserve to lose this game of football. Um, they made a big change. You know, Mick said in the week that it was time to to try something new. Um, we've seen them play three at the back for. A, the, the duration of his time in charge of the club uh, they switched to a four I think Sean Morrison was actually injured rather than um, just dropped for the game but N- Nelson and Flint played centre back with McGuinness at right back and Brown at left back uh, Bakuna was left out of the squad um, which I think was a fairly popular decision with 
um, Cardiff fans um, and Volks was dropped to the bench as well. And and it worked because they were the better team by miles, basically. They they battered Reading throughout the game um, from set pieces, from open play. They had 27 shots. Reading had two. Reading's two shots. One of them went out for a throw-in. The other went into the back of the net from Junior Hoylet. Um Luke Southwood, the the keeper who's deputising, well, was deputising for Raphael, but I think given his form, Raphael's going to have a hell of a time getting back in the side because Southwood is consistently playing um, so well. You know, already in the four games I think he's played, um, Reading, I think can thank him. You know, they've won three of those games. Maybe, or is it five games, they've won four of them. And I think he's had a, a pretty big hand um, in a lot of those points, Clever. no pun intended. Uh, um, you know, often you look at keepers and you wonder how many points a good keeper can win you over the course of a season. Well, I think Southwood's probably already gone past that number, um, and that was definitely the case here. Um, Reading were just having to defend, and I'm, you know, this is—I've been fairly impressed with Reading in recent weeks. This isn't me saying that Reading are bad. It's just on the day, Cardiff were by far and away the better side, but were just unable to finish, unable to take their chances. A couple of speculative efforts, whistling just the wrong side of the post. Southwood in good form. And Mick must have just left being like, well, as I say, when your luck's out, it's out because they couldn't really have done anything more to win the game and they've come away losing 1-0. Post-match, he was asked by Paul Walker, the Quest commentator, uh, you know, do you prefer to lose like you did in midweek where you get absolutely hammered and you play terribly? Or do you prefer to lose like this where you play really well, absolutely hammer the opposition and lose anyway? And Mick said, it's like asking me if I'd rather be shot or stabbed. (laughs) <laughs> I just thought off the cuff that was excellent well done you might be under pressure we might not expect Mick McCarthy to be Cardiff manager for too much longer um, and yeah it's an intriguing situation with Cardiff and I suppose with Warnock at Middlesbrough in a similar situation we're going to get onto them in, in just one second but I want to mark Millwall's back-to-back 1-0 wins because we have not spoken about Millwall on the Monday pod for a while uh, given that they drew was it six of their first nine games so I thought this merited a, a closer look but the problem is George I think between us we're pretty good now at finding some analysis that is in some way interesting and hopefully a little different what we don't like to do is repeat ourselves and that's why we're not going to talk too much about Barnsley's issues at the moment because I think we've underlined them quite a lot over the last few weeks the worst team I think in the league uh, them and Peterborough at the moment in the championship but when I was like okay let's dig in a little bit deeper to Millwall let me find something really interesting to tell the listeners I think Millwall are the team that we, and I mean we as in everyone who follows the league, know most about, and probably the team that's least likely to surprise us, and I mean us as in Mm. everyone who follows the league, you know, either with a terrible performance where they lose 4-0, or even with an amazing performance when they win 4-0. That that just seems less likely to happen with Millwall than almost anything else. Um, They've won a game 1-0 in midweek with a Jed Wallace penalty. They've won a game 1-0 on the weekend where a Jed Wallace corner was headed in by about three different players, um, including Jake Cooper and, and Murray Wallace, who got credited with the goal. Jed has four goals and four assists so far. They've only scored 10 goals. So he's either scored or assisted 80% of their goals. And he has scored or assisted their last six goals as well. It's just a situation where I don't, I don't have anything particularly new, fresh or exciting to say, other than, I suppose, looking at the starting eleven 
you know, it's not just the same team as we've always seen over the last few years. They've got a core of players, don't they, that we recognise as being um, core players. Bielkowski, Hutchinson, Cooper, um, Wallace and Wallace, of course. But McNamara's come in and looks good at right wing back. He's made that position his own. George Saville has returned to the club uh, from Middlesbrough and is, you know, doing pretty well in the centre of the park. Shea Yojo looks like outside of Wallace, he's probably one of the he's probably the most likely to make something happen in the final third. Has put in some some quite good performances in flashes. And then Afobe had a decent start to the season, hasn't scored too many goals overall. So uh, I don't have anything else to add really, other than to say get in there, Millwall. I'm so glad you're not just drawing every game that's ever been played. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, after quite a lot of consternation because of all the draws and a lot of uh, angst about Gary Rowett and his style of play and, and sort of things like that that just tend to happen when you're a bit bored, as the Millwall fans were, well, now it's back-to-back 1-0 wins. They're inside the top half in 11th position, not too far off those playoff places that they're gunning for. So uh, hopefully, who knows, uh, in two Mondays' time after international break, maybe we'll be talking about a third Millwall win in a row. Let's find out then. Ooh. We'll finish with two home wins. Hull 2, Borough 0. Blackpool 2, Blackburn 1. Which one is it for you? Hull 2, Borough 0. Um, just to say that, you know, having... Um, Spoken favourably about Cardiff's performance. I think we can say the same here for Mid- for Middlesbrough. Um, Ingram made a load of great saves for Hull. Um, th- as long as the game was nil nil, it always felt like Borough were the more likely to score. Um, missed missing plenty of chances. Sparrow in particular. Um, Crooks played very well. Uh, we haven't seen him do too much yet for Borough, but I thought he was impressive. Um, and this was definitely a case, in my opinion, of, of the worst side on the day winning. Um, and it was thanks to a big slice of luck although i should say you know keen lewis potter it's a it's a brilliant strike from the edge of the area and it hits and it hits the inside of the post and then hits lumley kind of in the neck area before before flying in so it's a lumley own goal you know you should say it's it's only a matter of inches away from being a, a, a half volley into the top right hand corner which would have been a great goal and you know not a deserved lead but a goal um to that we wouldn't be saying was lucky, but it was a big size of luck. And then Malik Wilkes manages managing to pick Borough off on the break as they went in search of uh, an equaliser in extra time. Sorry, in, in injury time. So I mean, it's it's a big win for Hull, of course, after they run a form for them to to get two goals to to win at home, um, send their home fans happy um, for the first time in the Championship for a long time um, was big. But for Borough, it, it'll be frustrating because after such a disappointing start to the season. To get that that win over Blades in midweek and then to put in a performance like this, which should have seen them get six points in two games and then to come away empty-handed, it'll be frustrating. But if I was a Borough fan now, compared to this time last week, you may only be three points better off, but you are looking like a far, far better football team. Um, some life in the old dog yet, I think, uh, with Neil Warnock. Well, interesting to see if he is allowed to keep living. There's a lot of rumours swirling around the uh, EFL grapevine about both Warnock at Borough and McCarthy at Cardiff. And Chris Wilder is kind of the grim reaper on that front uh, for those two <laughs> managers. For, for obvious reasons, I think it's very rare, I guess, as a, a championship side of their size and in their position in the league table to to, to think that you might be able to tempt someone um, with as recent a eye-catching success at this level as, as Chris Wilder and, of course, in that first season in the Premier League as well. So, um, yeah, we, we wonder what will happen. Uh, international break, does it come at a good or a bad time for these managers? I think if you're a manager under pressure, you, you do not want the international break to come, surely. 
Well, we do because we're going on holiday to Madeira. Yes. <laughs> 48 hours from now, we'll be in the air. <laughs> Lastly, Blackpool 2, Blackburn 1. Four wins in six for Blackpool now. I always thought they were the best of the relic of the promoted League One sides. Mm-hmm. And I'm claiming it so early. We're not even a quarter of the way through the season. But I do think they look the best of the three. Um, and, and Shane Lavery, the truffle pig, rides again. Three goals in three games. This was pure Lavery as well. I watched all of his shots ever on Y Scout yesterday. I wanted to look back at his time in Northern Ireland. Where, by the way, he missed some absolute sitters when he was playing in the Northern <laughs> Ireland. But because of his relentless movement, uh, he got so many chances that he skill- still scored plenty. And and the thing that I noticed was the thing that we saw for this goal. This little peeling run that he makes uh, to the left side from a central area to outside the right centre-back. If there's any space vacated by the right back Lavery will find it uh, and then he, he either cuts in and finishes with his right foot or as was the case here he went left he did get a shot off and, and obviously got a big slice of luck with the deflection that carried it over the keeper and into the goal but that little run is his calling card and I'm sure we'll notice that time and time again having said that he came off didn't he ironic that a player that I've nicknamed the truffle pig came off with a hamstring injury nice well done. You've not given me nearly enough. I don't think you were really listening there. Yates came on. Uh, he sco- <laughs> I have. He scored within a minute. Uh, that goal for me was about Keshi Anderson showing his class. Anderson's playing at championship level for the first time. He, he was always, particularly at Swindon, one of those, I think he was considered a bit of a luxury player, to be honest. Always for Swindon, you know, everyone would say he's probably our best attacking player, you know, most skillful, most creative, can score goals as well. And I think the feeling was he wasn't necessarily fulfilling all of his potential. Now, as we know, Swindon as a club at that time was not necessarily the best place to fulfil your potential, chopping and changing mm. managers, experiencing success and failure from season to season. But I think it's significant that, you know, he's already made one start fewer this season than he did last season in League One. He's become a key part of Critchley's side. And if you told us at the start of last season, George, that out of Bezlabala, Sully Kaikai and Keshi Anderson, he'd be the one to be surviving and thriving a year later at Blackpool at a higher level, I'd have been surprised. So uh, I love to see it. Uh, he obviously got that wonderful backheeled assist the other week uh, and a really nice piece of play in the build-up to Yates's goal here. And then the second half was, was the Alamo, wasn't it? Blackburn just uh, wave after wave of attacks. Brereton Diaz got his Friday night sky, not the top 20 segment bump, um, <laughs> which is, I always, I, I can't actually say that in good faith. When when we talk about players who have scored a ton of goals already this season and then they score the next day, I'm not sure there's anything hugely impressive about that. Are you saying it's not to do with us? It's only partly to do with us and partly what? to do with his uh, continued excellent movement inside the box and finishing, which is what he did at the back post here. Great win for Blackpool, especially after a disappointing draw against 10-man Hull in midweek, which Critchley was fuming about. And a nice story is the goalkeeper, Stuart Moore. Uh, used to be with MK Dons. People might remember him there. Uh, he left them in June of 2020. Uh, he had six months without a club during that COVID period. Then he signed for Wealdstone in the National League for about eight weeks, December and, and January uh, of 2020-2021. Uh, and then he was picked up by Blackpool to be their sub-keeper uh, for the second half of last season. Came off the bench here because cousin Chris Maxwell got injured and made a big save in injury time to secure the points for Blackpool. So a, a brilliant day, a brilliant few weeks, you have to say, for Blackpool. And Neil Critch, will be chomping at the bit to get Championship football restarted. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how far they can go because they're a team that I like a lot. I like the way they do things. League One, Portsmouth 4, Sunderland 0. 
farcical conditions at Fratton Park. <laughs> they were. Yeah, they were. Um, I like the fact that I think some of the Sunderland um, coaching staff were trying to get the game abandoned in the second half as if it, for some reason it was just really neg- negatively impacting them, but totally fine for Pompey. Really unfair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the conditions were obviously very poor. And, um, do you the, think the, do you think the thing... fourth official said, we could call it off, but you'll have to come back down to Portsmouth from Sunderland on a Tuesday night in February, and there's no guarantee that that one won't be adversely affected by weather conditions. And, ha- and we'll start the game at 3-0, which is the score at the moment. Um, I-, I think Sunderland can feel aggrieved by um, Ronan Curtis's foul on Lupo 9 in the run-up to the second goal, um, because it was quite clearly a foul. And if Curtis had been shown a red card... I don't think anybody, I mean, I'm sure Pompey fans would have complained, but I don't think anyone could have could have complained in good faith because it was a nasty late challenge with the studs going into his ankle. Um, and that is you know, the turning point and the one bit of, um, the one nugget I'm going to give Sunderland fans who are listening. But realistically, they were just outclassed on the day by a Pompey side who really needed this. You know, it was a, it was a full Fratton Park. It sold out about five days before the game. Two massive sets of fans um, going at it two of the biggest clubs we've seen at league one before um with a real needle between them given their histories in this division in the last couple of years 10th fixture uh, between these two in just under three years one of the unlikeliest of rivalries um of, but yeah but i mean it, it's a huge result for portsmouth you know coming into this game in the old six game form table pompey were bottom having won none of them and sunderland were top having won i think five or six um, so I think for, for Danny Cowley, bit of indication here. I, I think that there are starting to be some murmurings of discontent. You know, we, we remember last season how when, when the Cowleys came in, they started very well and then things really went south very quickly in, in the back end of the season. It felt like that little mini um, season arc had happened again with a very, very strong start to the season and then just completely uh, dropping off in terms of performance levels. So to to win this game 4-0... Um, to do so against a side who've been so good, to have all the all the big names, you know, that your Marquises, your Harnesses, your Curtises, all all putting in <laughs> a performance of, uh, of of you know a, a high level performance. Marquis getting two goals is huge, even though it didn't look to me like he got a, a huge touch on the first one. Uh, is massive, and it, and it kind of shows, I think, Portsmouth fans, and it shows us who who kind of watch this league uh, as well. Some of some of you neutrals, I'm not so much. That this is a Pompey side who, on their day, are still very, very good, and you know it's still very early days. They might only be on an eleventh for fifteen points, but it doesn't take much to to propel you up towards the top end, and, and they've certainly got the quality to do it. I'm not concerned about Sunderland overall. I'm happy to put this down as one of those days. I will just say it's worth noting that they have played six of their games at the Stadium of Light, and they've won all six of them. They've only played four games away from home. Uh, and they've got a one win, one draw, two defeat record. So uh, not that you could expect to match their home record away from home, but they've got a couple more away games to play uh, to even things up. And if they're not quite as strong away from home as they are at home, which is what the evidence suggests so far, then maybe we can suggest a, a suspect a, a little drop off. Well, that remains to be seen. Sheffield Wednesday one, Oxford two. George, you described this one as bittersweet. Oh yeah, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> the perils of being a freelancer, eh? You get offered work, you think, I'd love to go to Sheffield Wednesday away, but the difference in spending money going on an away day versus making money on, on national radio, it's a tough one, isn't it? And yeah, I think also, um, 
there is there's value to being on Five Live on a Saturday afternoon that, that goes far beyond the money as well. Uh, it is one of my favourite things in the whole world to do. So what about yeah, James uh, Henry ninety fifth minute winner? Well, I, I was going to say in my list of favourite things in the world, I think probably being in an away end at Hillsborough watching James Henry score a weird little pirouette um, outside of the boot finish. Would, would would probably be maybe higher, <laughs> but I wasn't I wasn't to know that that was going to be the case before I took the job. Um, it was incredible, and you know it's one of those games and goals where I've watched the the kind of replay about fifty times with the, with the sound very loud because it was some racket, um, and it was a good performance from Oxford as well. You know, taking that's the fan side of me done looking at at it as you know I I have watched. Um, large parts of the game and Oxford were very good and I think Sheffield Wednesday fans were, were um, not very happy with the first half performance naturally in the second half they came into it more but Oxford always looked very dangerous on the break um, Herbie Kane and Cameron Brannigan put in unbelievably good displays um, Kane just starting to, to trend towards where we know he can be before coming off with a hamstring issue which is a shame for Oxford but Carl Robinson seemed to suggest it was more of a, a twinge and the precaution rather than um, anything actually going or being pulled. So so hopefully he's going to be fit. Uh, the first goal from Brannigan, I mean, I've, I don't want to go in too hard again, but Peacock Farrell is, is basically making a mistake a game at the moment for Wednesday. And that makes it very, very difficult for them to um, progress. You know, they want to be winning this division and you've got a keeper. And, and I think it's starting to, to um, show in the defenders' body languages as well that like you saw the reaction of of the the two centre backs after Brannigan put it in at the near post, and then immediately Peacock Fowles remonstrating with them, trying to explain what happened. And it's like I just I think he's there on reputation alone. I think that Sheffield Wednesday, I assume there's probably an agreement with Burnley that where he's he's there to play football, but um, at the moment it is not going too well for him ever since that brilliant penalty save early on in the season. Um, I hope he proves me wrong, but again I've said it before. I said it with with George Long a lot. Um, in previous campaigns, when you've got a keeper who just doesn't look like he's good enough to be there, it, it's it's much more of a problem than just having a poor keeper because it can make your whole defence, um, your whole defensive unity um, really struggle. So so that is disappointing for them. But this is just, I think, two decent sides up against each other. Oxford deserving of their win, made more impressive by being the away team. Um and you know a first win away from home this season despite putting in some decent performances away that they haven't got any anything for earlier in the campaign not so much recently is is a big step in the right direction and six points in those kind of four or five days um has that made you change if i'd asked you last monday if you were happy with where oxford were at versus if i ask you today if you're happy where oxford are at so far this season big definitely. change in the last week yeah 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 i, I spoke to people on tuesday before the accrington game saying well, we, you know this squad is is quite clearly good enough to be like a really good League One side, and, and for whatever reason, we're not getting, um, we're not getting the right level of performance from them. Five nil against Accrington, who then follow that up by beating Ipswich, and then we go to Hillsborough and win two one. You know, that is um, the level. Uh, no one can complain about that. And you know, the the data has always always suggested that Oxford have been playing pretty well this season, um, and that this was probably coming. Uh, so, I, I'm I'm glad for Carl Robinson that. Um, these two results just, you know, just gives everyone a bit of a bit of time to breathe and a bit of perspective. Now going into the international break with the Sunderland game postponed, um, in a really good place to, well positioned, I guess, for a, a promotion push. Ever since you said that Kane's hamstring was a twinge, not a pull, I've been trying to work out the different gradings of hamstrings, and I think at the very at the very bottom, 
is when someone, when the commentator will say, he's just felt his hamstring there. That's at the mm. very bottom. That's normally fine within a day or two. You've got a twinge, as you mentioned, which might be a couple of days. Then between twinge and pull is a strain. You've got a strain in your hamstring. Yeah. Then you've got a pulled hamstring. And then quite a big jump, I would say, between pull and tear. Uh, and a tear, yes. as we know, has sort of four grades, doesn't it, the tear? And then rupture. The, the worst of the lot, I'm afraid. No one wants to hear the word rupture. Someone last season ruptured their thigh. And I don't think I'd ever heard of that injury before. And it and it sounds like one of the worst things that could ever happen to you. Yeah, me. don't like it. Anyway, um, let's move on to probably the game of the weekend in League One, certainly, if not the whole EFL. Wickham 4, Morecambe 3... Tom, who is our Morecambe fan from Peru on the marvellous NTT20 squad, called this the Silent B derby. Both Wickham and Morecambe having a rogue B in there. <laughs> and I, that, I hadn't heard that before and it really tickled me. So thank you, Tom. Um, I was already all up for this game just because of you calling it that. And, and the game itself didn't disappoint. Uh, Morecambe absolutely flying out the traps. Wickham flying back into the traps and then winning it at the end. The, the winning goal couldn't have summed the game up any better. Morecambe on the attack. Ayunga, who's just put one in from 25 yards after carrying it 15 yards, decides to go again for glory, hits it straight at Stockdale. Stockdale rolls it out quickly. Uh, Jacobson carries it forward, gets fouled, and the referee's about to blow his whistle for a free kick. Jacobson says, no, ref, I'm still going. He gets up, he carries it further, and then I can't remember how it, eventually happens but it gets blocked and Curtis Thompson on the edge of the box slides it in Wickham do seem to have more slides it in you've done him a disservice there it was a great finish slid it in it was airborne as well so I don't you can slide if you can't slide in a ball that's in the air I don't think one for football cliches that Curtis Thompson fired it in yeah nice Q Bedlam Behind the goal. Winning goals. I know I said Bristol Rovers have the best limbs last week and I stand by it. And didn't get much kickback, surprisingly, off that. Um, but I do think Wickham fans... You're looking for reactions now. Particularly <laughs> behind that goal. I can think of some some sensational moments over the last few years. Marcus Bean scored one at that end, which I think was pretty special. I even remember Jordan Ibe scoring it when he was about 15. I think it was at that end. Uh, special stuff. I'm losing my, my train of thought here, George. Why don't you pick up uh, and tell me what you thought about Wickham Morecambe? Uh, just, I mean, I think you've summed it up. Uh, a game where, uh, using another cliche, a game where neither side deserved to lose, I would nice. say. Um, but one of them did. Uh, Hands up uh, if you had Morecambe as the second top scorers from open play in League One at this stage of the season. Yeah, both of us put our hands up. That's interesting. Both of us liars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Alfie McCallum's goal was obviously very fortunate. Um, a scorer of great goals. That was not one. I'm, I'm not entirely sure how... Stockdale was so caught out there. I don't know if you couldn't see it after he hit it, but it kind of dribbled in from distance. Um, but great play from Stockton for the assist for Phillips. Um, really poor from Leatherin. I think Leatherin can be blamed certainly for the first goal from Horgan. Certainly for the, I think it was the was it the Tafasoli goal as well, where he's just so weak on his line and the ball kind of goes over him. Um, you know, he's been a great keeper for Morecambe for a long time and we'll, we'll forgive him for this. But I think Leatherin's poor performance was probably the key to, to Wickham's comeback here. And then for Curtis Thompson, he hadn't scored for, for nearly three years in any competition. Uh, ball rolling out to him just on the edge. Uh, Wickham fans probably thinking, why is it him, anyone but him? And yeah, as you say, fires it in. I mean, an amazing moment. Um, certainly didn't slide it. But yeah, a, a, a great game. And 
I think just proof again that these are two just very very good teams. Um, you know, for Morecambe to go to Wickham and do that to them, you know, not many sides are going to score three against Wickham this season. I can assure you of that, given how how well organised they are. Um, but incredible spirit and resolve from from Wickham to to get that that very very late win. Cheltenham nil, Rotherham two. Uh, Rotherham have been on very good form and in recent weeks have started finishing chances in their last seven games. And this is incredibly basic analysis. They've had 122 shots and they've faced 59. So taking uh, more than two to one shots wise, uh, ratio wise. And if you are, George, consistently having twice as many shots as the opposition, good things are going to happen. Perhaps even more so if William Grigg plays up front for you and can be the pure finisher that you lacked before. Billy G. To yeah. what extent is Will Grigg the missing piece of the puzzle? I think we both think that could very much be the case. I obviously thought that Rotherham, we thought Rotherham would win the league pre-season. Uh, and I still think that, uh, despite the fact they're two points behind Sunderland and, and Wigan at the moment. Big, big spell coming up after international break. Portsmouth, Wickham, MK Dons and Sunderland up, up next for Rotherham. Three of them at home, which will help. Looking at the XG numbers, their set-piece threat stands out over all of the other top teams. Those could be key uh, in those big games to come, but really impressed with Rotherham over the, over recent weeks. I think their fans are surprised with how quickly they've come out the traps. They were probably expecting to come on strong in the second half of the season, um, but they, I mean, everything just makes sense with their style of play, right. with the squad that they've built. It's all looking very, very good. And, and as for Cheltenham, they've had a really tough run um, of fixtures and results, and I think it can be explained away with just very tough fixtures, missing. Key defender Will Boyle through injury. Key midfielder Callum Wright, who's out long-term now. Um, I'm not too concerned about the last few weeks for Cheltenham Town. But I do want to flag up uh, a player called Dylan Barkers, who played at the base of midfield for Rotherham. George, you know I pride myself on knowing every player in the EFL. Well, I looked at Cheltenham's team sheet. I saw a player called Barkers. <laughs> I thought someone had gone barking mad. Woof. That's it's a no from me. He he doesn't exist. I think I said out loud. That's not a real person, but he is. And I asked uh, squad member Will Daniels, who's a Rotherham fan, at the game to keep a close eye on him so we could learn more about him. And this isn't Honda Mark levels of excitement, but I think we might have something quite interesting here. Um, he'd been on loan at Alverchurch or Alverchurch uh, in the Southern Premier Central, Step Seven. And he was recalled from loan because of all these injuries. He sat in front I of think, the back. I, th- I think that's wrong. I think he was at Alverchurch and they signed him from Alverchurch in the summer. And immediately loaned him back to Alverchurch. Right. Please don't. Please don't suggest well, to me that should, I haven't done my research on an exciting young player. Quite crucial part that he was signed from the Southern Premier League in the summer. Isn't that big? Signed from Alverchurch in the summer, loaned straight back, then recalled a few weeks ago. Starts against Rotherham, sat in front of the back four, and these are Will's scouting words here. Screened them with every ball we played up front to Smith. Picked up a heatway from set pieces. Good energy, great in the air, calm and composed on the ball. Faded slightly second half as we overran Cheltenham, but a very solid performance. Now, I went on Y Scout, and all I did was watch his dribbles, because he dribbled five, five completed from five at the very base of midfield. That's literally my favourite thing in in world football. I'm thinking Christian Bielik, those sorts of players. So I'm going to be keeping a close eye on Dylan Barkers over the next few weeks. Uh, why don't you tell me, George, about Gillingham nil, Wiggingham 2? Um, not a great deal. I mean, this is probably as predictable as it comes, doesn't it? Gillingham side who has struggled this season coming up against the Wigan side who don't really concede many chances or many goals. Uh, Johnny Kinde nearly scored a very good goal in the first half, beautifully taken ball over the top and uh, saved by Amos. Um, 
the goals themselves were, were functional, power and, and keen. Um, they kept Gillingham uh, at arm's length throughout. It was a re- as regulation a 2-0 away win as you're going to see and a return to winning ways for Wigan because they would have been disappointed to drop points and be beaten at home by, by Sheffield Wednesday midweek. Um, and they return, I think, top of the league, don't they? Uh, off the back of that as well. So yeah, they're top of the league on ahead of Sunderland on goal difference. Um, so back to winning ways for them. We've got four two ones to touch on in League One. I'm going to take the first one. Doncaster 2, MK Dons 1. Fete, neither of us saw this one coming. A little bit like Accrington 2, Ipswich 1. Uh, MK, a betting show pick for you. Ipswich, a betting show pick for me. Both of them done by Donny and Accrington. For, for Doncaster, bit, you know, big discussion about whether the winning goal should have been flagged offside. I'm led to believe, which I did not think to be the case, that there's something in the rule that suggests that because the MK Dons defender got a little flick on the ball that was played over the top uh, towards Chukur, that uh, that sort of negates the offside. Um, I'm I'm willing to be proven wrong on that. Um, I was trying to scrabble around on Saturday night before talking about this on Quest. There was a high-profile incident with Tyrone Mings against Man City last season in the Premier League where this was kind of the rule that was being... Uh, debated. Either way, it was the first professional goal for Chukur who tapped in at the back post. Uh, and overall, Doncaster deserved at least a point, if not the three that they got. MK Dons did have 74% possession, as they tend to, but they only got four shots off inside Doncaster's box. And I think for a team that lost 6-0 in the week, that shows great bounce-back ability, great shape, great <laughs> desire. Uh, the midfield three of Close, Bostock and Galbraith getting a lot of plaudits as well. Really good performance from them. And I think the most important thing for me was, so far this season, Donny three times had... Well, they had taken the lead four times this season, um, scored the first goal. One of them they won 1-0 against Morecambe, just about. The other three times they had taken the lead, they'd conceded an equaliser and then gone on to lose the game, which doesn't reflect very well on, on a team's personality. So on the weekend, the fact that they took the lead, then conceded an equaliser and went on and won it, um, that reflects well on them and and how they approached this game after the drubbing at the hands of Ipswich on Tuesday night. So congrats to Donny. They're still at the bottom of the table. They've still got plenty of work to do. Um, But certainly Wellens buys himself a a bit of breathing space there, and rightly so. Which one do you want to go for? Accrington 2, Ipswich 1? Okay. Um, That was one of those questions. It's not really a question. You just told me. Um, Yeah. Uh, I mean Ipswich. I just can't believe that they managed to to get that six 0 win in midweek, go nil one nil up away at Accrington, and then fold like a deck of cards. They had two uh, shots in ninety minutes. They had two two shots, shots in the whole game. Um, I mean, all credit to Accrington. Let's you know, let's be clear here that Accrington winning and, and playing very well is is the story and what we should be focusing on. Um, but yeah, I mean after Bonds effort which went in on the 37th minute Ipswich didn't have a single shot uh, I think Hladke can take some of the blame for letting in Pell's winner as well I, I'm still just so surprised about the the, the massive drop in, in performance level we're seeing from Hladke as such a good keeper at League 2 level not doing it at Ipswich at all so far this season um, and Accrington were just the better side on the day you know they were they were able to create, you know, it wasn't a game of many chances, but they were able to turn their, um, what possession they did have into kind of final third entries and then getting the ball forwards. Um, they were so cosy defensively, despite, you know, the likes of Scott Fraser, Burst and Selina all on the pitch, uh, Wes Burns. Um, it, uh, despite that incredible performance and result midweek, I almost feel like we're back to square one again with the Sipsbridge side after that performance because 
you know, we thought that would be the the dam bursting and we were going to suddenly see so many uh, this Ipswich side click and going forward. But any illusion that that was the case and that had happened um, has been shown up for what it was now because that was as, as abject a performance as we've seen from the Ipswich so far, um, albeit against an Accrington side who made it very difficult for them. Mm. Bolton beat Shrewsbury 2-1. Bolton, the top open play goal scorers in League One. What a start to the season they've had. This game probably more about individual quality you have to say than an overall team performance uh the individual quality specifically of Anthony Sarsevic who scored a beautiful curler from 25 yards absolute perfection we saw a couple of those across the leagues Baker Richardson as well for Newport we had the perfect angle of that didn't we sort of FIFA-esque finesse into the top corner uh and then again it's all about Dapo Afalayan who received an awkward bouncing ball and somehow within the next four seconds dipped inside three separate Shrewsbury defenders who tried to win the ball off him uh, and then does what he does seemingly every game or maybe every other game and fire it in from the sort of edge of the box, left-hand side. He can either go into the far corner as he did for the first few goals of the season and now he's doing a sort of Neymar-esque pretend to go to the far corner, whip it in the near post. Keepers can't handle it and Affalion's stock continues to rise and rightly so. Uh, the fact that Bolton signed him this summer after that loan spell gave him a three-year contract. I think that is uh, going to work out very, very well for them because the way that he's playing and his skill set and his intelligence mostly, uh, I think that's going to get him a, a big move at some point. Of course, Bolton have every chance of, of reaching the playoffs this season. They He could reach the championship without needing to leave clubs, which would be nice. And I just want to stick up for Ryan Bowman here, Shrewsbury penalty taker. The greatest bow. He tried a sort of clip down the middle but it wasn't a panenka it was a bit harder than a panenka he was just trying to loft it into the sort of top part of the of the center of the goal uh, and Joel Dixon either by luck or potentially by design having studied some Bowman penalties he sort of moved one way Dixon but but made sure he didn't commit to a full dive and that meant that he could just sort of pour it away and obviously with penalties uh, the analysis thereof is is always pretty poor in, in general footballing discourse uh, it's incredibly tied to outcome bias and uh, and and this was a good example of that I think it looks bad and so people laugh at it and say it's rubbish for me no worse than any other penalty really that gets saved in the corner for example there have actually been pretty intense studies done one of which I read on Saturday night uh, about where you're most likely to score a penalty if you can put it anywhere and, and actually uh, in the in the top of the middle part of the goal is statistically the best place to put a penalty because around 95-96% of the time a goalkeeper will dive one way uh, and if you lift it high enough that their trailing legs can't touch it uh, then you're normally going to score so I felt a bit bad for Bowman I wanted to back him up there it's a game of nerves isn't it keepers don't want to look bad either and it looks bad for a keeper if they don't dive and the ball gets put into the corner. They look like an idiot. So it's just one big game of cat and mouse. I want to put it down the middle. You'll save it if you stand down the middle, but you're not going to stand most of the time down the middle because you don't want to look weird if I stick it in the corner. Let's move on. Fleetwood 1, Charlton 2, George. Big, big win for Nigel Adkins. A massive win. Um, and, yeah, again, a performance that is better than what we'd seen so far. I know it wasn't perfect by any stretch, but we saw up against the Fleetwood side who'd been in decent form as well. Um, we saw, a, I guess, a different side to to, to Charlton. Um, I think the strike duo of Davison and Lee is, is a good one. Um, taking Stockley out of the firing line, bringing him on to get the goal. 
and certain other players who haven't been in great form. Uh, you know, Leko, who should be very, very good at this level, who struggled um, so far with a great performance and, and a goal. Kurt getting an assist, who's struggled to really make an impact since coming in. Um, you know, that midfield of Gilby and Arta should be very good. So it's been an awful start to the season. You know, there's no way of getting around that at all. Um, but getting three points on the roads is, is big, um, especially just before the international break. I know we talk about managers and um, uh, probably Nigel Adkins knew that the international break wasn't going to be his friend here and a bad performance and result could have been curtains. But I think giving them this win, a bit of something to cheer about before having a bit of a break because their game has been postponed on the weekend as well um, is really important. So in League Two, I think we're going to have to do lucky dip here because uh, we haven't got a huge amount of time and we know we're going big on League Two uh, on next week's podcast. So uh, let's go back and forth. You can have the pick of the games in League Two to talk about, George. Uh, please proceed. Uh, Sutton beating uh, Cobblers 2-0. Just incredibly impressive performance from a side who um, I think could be quite good, to be honest. I think they are just a very good League Two side. I, I, I think there's absolutely no way that the preseason market betting markets that had them down towards the bottom end of the table are, are going to come true they are a worst to mid table side and they went to a, a northampton side whose defensive record has been so good this season they're really good value for their win um kizzy getting the first wilson with the second um just a very effective football team who didn't really look like conceding too much after the second goal as well so yeah credit to matt gray who there were circumstances that I think explained why they had a difficult start to the season. The fixture list wasn't particularly kind to them, um, but they didn't panic and they are now being rewarded for it up into 11th uh, with a game in hand on most teams in the league. I want to talk about Newport 3, Scunthorpe United nil, and that's mostly because of what happened off the pitch before the game even started. Mike Flynn uh, leaving Newport County. Uh, things hadn't felt great since losing the playoff final to Morecambe. In May, I think there was some frustration at how late some players were offered contracts. There was quite a lot of squad churn over the summer. And as discussed in recent weeks, they haven't felt like Mike Flynn's Newport. They haven't been playing very well. Uh, aside from a continued set-piece threat, they really struggled in possession. Um, they've looked very sort of clogged up. Uh, and and you, you wondered whether Flynn himself had lost a little bit of fight uh, after two losing playoff finals. Uh, after everything that's happened over the last few years. I mean, we, I literally have written songs about Mike Flynn in the past. Uh, he's been <laughs> one of my favourite managers in the EFL for the last few years. The, you know, st basically starting with one of the most astonishing achievements that I can remember us covering, the, the Great Escape. I think they were 11 points from safety when he took charge, his first permanent job uh, as a manager. Um from that to incredible cup runs to two playoff final appearances uh, for a club whose, I would say, whose general level, um, certainly before Flynn ever took charge, was relegation fighters at this level. Um, that is some overperformance over, over a few years. And I hope Flynn has a lot of credit or has a high stock. Uh, and I hope that it's not too long before he gets another job, a good job, uh, at League One or League Two level because I think he has earned it. Um, there was always a bit of chat about style of play, which I always hate. Um, and I know that he was pretty aware of that. And we saw at the start of last season, he even spoke about it in an athletic article that <clears throat> he was aware that style of play 
is a bit of a thing for people. And he wanted to show that actually I can coach a team to play possession football. And I think he, he has proven that more or less over the last 15 months or so. So um, we wish him well. We look forward to uh, to seeing where he pitches up next. I w- I'm a bit worried about Newport in general uh, without Flynn because if I think their normal level without the overperformance that we've seen for the last few years is a bottom half League 2 team, then it doesn't take much more than a, a poor appointment to have them potentially fighting relegation and kind of um, scrapping somewhat. So the, the good news for them this season is that there are at least two, if not three, really bad teams in League 2. And it's going to be very difficult to finish lower than those teams, especially with the head start they have. But um, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on, on whoever they do appoint. Wayne Hatswell, who was Flynn's assistant, took charge uh, this weekend and they won very comfortably against Scunthorpe. Uh, some really quality attacking play. Uh, we asked Dan, who's a Newport fan on the NTT20 squad, what the atmosphere was like because I thought it might be a bit weird first game without Flynn. He said it was excellent. He said the players visibly looked like... You know, they were off the leash a little bit. So maybe time for a change, you know, specifically in the short term might not be a bad thing. But of course, long term, they're going to have to get it right. Good win for Newport, who looked full of beans against this desperate, desperate Scunthorpe United side. Next up for you, George. I've just noticed there are only two, are there are only two draws or one draw in the whole of League Two. So I don't know how we're going to do this, but um, I might just take two quickly. Bristol Rovers, Swindon. Um, massive win for Swindon between two sides who don't get on too well anyway um, Brita Rovers taking the lead very early um, but only having five shots in the game Swindon absolutely peppered them and got their just rewards at the end um, especially given what Joey Barton said about Ben Garner when he came into the club basically blamed Brita Rovers' relegation on Garner the infrastructure Garner had put in at the club and then kind of doubled down he let he didn't go for him again before the game and he said he respected him as a manager or whatever, but then reiterated his belief that it was the preseason before that had led to Bristol Rovers' poor form. So some justica- justification for Garner. He also Brilliant said he's a decent bloke and he might take me to task on a few things I said, but I have no problem with that. If he wants to discuss the finer points, I'm sure I can spare 15 to 20 minutes for him after the game. I wonder if that conversation happened. I doubt it. Very much so. Uh, and then Port Vale, Leighton Orient, probably the game of the day in League Two. Um, two very, very good sides, fourth against second. Leighton Orient scoring uh, with four minutes to go through Tom James, thinking they got a massive away win only for Dennis Politic. And then Jamie Proctor to score bang, bang, 91st, 92nd minute uh, to get the three points. Um, difficult, I'm sure, for Orient fans to, to process on their way home. But for Port Vale fans, I guess the performance and the result that says, yep, we are going to be there. We are going to be one of these teams at the top end of League Two this season. Yeah, I, I the two goals that Vale scored at the end, my mind was cast back to a conversation that we had with Chris Wilder at the Bournemouth-West Brom game, first game of the EFL season. Uh, Bournemouth's first goal was a kind of cutback from Anthony, wasn't it, that was finished off. And Wilder, who knows three at the back systems very well from his time at Sheffield United, said something that I'd not heard before and have taken to heart, which is that for a team playing three centre-backs, the low cutback from the byline is absolute kryptonite because Mm. centre-backs naturally want to run back towards their own goal and defend that. No centre-back wants to see a striker tapping it in from a few yards. So they give up that space between, I guess, the six-yard box and the edge of the box. And that's where you really need your screening midfielders to be. Now, I I can't, I don't know off the top of my head who was on the pitch for uh, um, 
Orient at that time. I suspect Prattley was there uh, and and potentially Clay or Kiprianu, but they were nowhere to be seen and that would be so disappointing for Jacket, uh, whose team have defended so well over the last few weeks. Basically the same goal twice in injury time to turn a win into a defeat. Uh, very, very disappointing. Uh, why don't I talk about Carlisle nil, Forest Green 2. It's an easy one from a Forest Green perspective because there's there's nothing new necessarily to say. Uh, Nicky Cadden's trusty left foot as good as ever. Absolute laser of a finish for 2-0. Uh, and, and their away form continues to impress. I believe that's four wins from five away from home. They are the team to catch. The big question in League 2, and maybe we will try and answer it next week, is who is the second best team in the league? Because... The answer to who is the best team in the league is, is abundantly clear right now in performance metrics, in the league table, in, in every which way, really. Um, and I just wanted to say that I was worried about Carlisle, whose form has been poor, fans questioning Chris Beach a lot. I thought that the atmosphere could get quite toxic at Blundell Park, and therefore I want to flag up the fact that I don't think it did get that toxic, despite the fact they were 2-0 down at half-time against Forest Green. And I think that's because, and I watched this game live at, at Quest, Carlisle were impressive. They played well, uh, particularly in the first half, particularly when it was nil-nil. Um, without reward, they played well. And I think, therefore, that's a it's a knowledgeable crowd that decides not to go mad um, at, at a 2-0 home win because I think they recognise that the performance was was OK and, and more of those will see more points being won. And then Oldham lost at home to Harrogate. Uh, again, beating Oldham at the moment isn't necessarily something to, to go huge on, but Harrogate do march on and they do look like a strong side. Their goals really summed them up. You know, the the, the speed with which they attack. Ian Holloway, I, I spoke to him about Harrogate because he managed against them for Grimsby last season. Harrogate beat Grimsby 2-0. And he said it, it was the best 4-4-2 I've ever seen. <laughs> now, he is a man prone to exaggeration. And I reckon he's probably seen some good 4-4-2s over a long career. But um, the way that he spoke about how they played, uh, definitely with the fullbacks and with the wide players. He loves Falkingham, the, the, the midfield general and captain. Um, and I thought their goals really summed them up. Another for Luke Armstrong. I didn't realise till this weekend, George, that Luke Armstrong, League Two top scorer, son of Alan Armstrong. Mm. I, I, I didn't either until, but apparently just had major surgery, so hopefully he's okay. We wish him well. Those are my two. So we've still got a couple more. Keep going, George. Um, well, let's just talk about some regulation wins because Bradford's 2-0 win against Rochdale was fairly comfortable, much needed after a difficult little spell. Uh, and for Rochdale, starting to be a bit concerned after a decent start with back-to-back defeats and one point from their last three, but difficult fixtures maybe, well, certainly in this case, uh, a tough one. And then Stevenage to Hartlepool nil. A big result this for Stevenage, big for Elliot List to be back in form. Uh, their first win, that is since... Uh, the opening game, the uh, second game of the season on the 14th of August as well. So after a decent start, they've been totally abject. Playing against the Hartlepool side, have been pretty good as well. So um, a big win for them in their bid to push themselves away from the bottom uh, end of the table. Tranmere Rovers beat Crawley 2-1. Peter Clark, the centre-back, with a brace. Uh, he is relentless from set-piece situations and he is now Tranmere's top league goalscorer with two. Uh, they're such a weird team. They are such a weird team. They've conceded the fewest goals in the league. They've scored the fewest goals in the league. They're like the reverse Oldham from last season. Um, they've only scored two goals from open play in 11 games. It's just so weird. And, and yet they're in a good league position. They've given themselves a great platform. And as you've said before, that defensive record is good enough that 
even increasing their attacking output by 50%, which shouldn't take too much doing, um, that they're going to fly up the league, uh, which is exciting. But I guess we can't guarantee that that will happen. The thing that I noticed looking at the Okta uh, analyst data with team style, which kind of surprised me, was Tramir playing a lot of football as well. I, I assumed because of their poor attacking numbers, and you shouldn't assume because it makes an ass out of you and me, I assumed they were playing some really direct play without the right players, and it was just ugly and not working but style wise you've got Swindon at the extreme end of the the ticky tacker spectrum and Northampton at the other end Tranmere are sort of basically just below Swindon in terms of slow build-up play patient possession uh, the amount of attacks they have where they string together 10 or more passes they're right up there so I don't know why it's so bad um they they're obviously knocking it around a bit and then not getting anywhere near the goal. So I mean, not not the sort of games you want to watch necessarily, but uh, a good atmosphere here as Peter Clark won them that game. And then Cole, you nil to Salford. Why do I write it out so weirdly? It means I read it out super weirdly. Salford to Colchester nil. Uh, Salford did the damage in the first half here. Uh, it was their first away win of the season. Colchester still very bad, I'm afraid. Uh, I know they've yeah. had a couple of good results this season, but overall we're starting to see the, the, the sort of underlying numbers uh, help with take shape and, and Colchester are still very poor on basically both fronts and, and as for Salford I, I see them moving up the table from here I mean they can't get too much lower they're sort of in the middle of the bottom half at the moment but I think I think that they will start slowly moving up the table in terms of the, the target for Salford which is always promotion I still think they're missing something and I think it's it's almost an intangible I don't necessarily know what it is um, I'll probably lean back on the word vibes. I think Salford are, are lacking in vibes somewhat um, because they're a good team. They create quite a lot of chances. They miss quite a lot of chances. Their defence is okay, but not great. Um, they should be better, uh, but they're not. But they won here. And lastly, George Mansfield nil, Barrow won. You keep telling us we should be taking Barrow more seriously. Yeah, winning winning tip for me on the betting show, which is good. Um, thanks to a penalty. I mean, Mansfield probably didn't deserve to lose it they were much better I think than they have been in recent weeks um when you luck's out you luck's out and for for Barrow um another really impressive win interesting to I've seen some murmurs that Mark Cooper's being linked to the Newport job which seems quite weird um but uh I'm sure there's probably nothing in that and um yeah for, for Mansfield they just have to find a way to to arrest the slide because at the moment you know they're another team I feel like there have been a few of them in this in this episode who played quite well off the back of a, a poor run and they've got nothing to show for it now for some squad questions to finish. One football, one frivolous, and it's a Chris Fisher double. The first one from him, which I love, is basically who's most valuable to their team. His question is which players across the three leagues are most integral to their team's promotion challenge and whose prolonged absence could derail that challenge if it happens. Now, I took a team's promotion challenge and I just I basically just looked at the teams who are in automatic or playoff positions at this stage because everyone's got promotion ambitions, really, and I needed to narrow it down a bit. For me, in the championship, it's Callum O'Hare of Coventry. I think if they were to lose him, probably more so than nine goal Gjok, I think they would really lose a lot in terms of the link play, the pure quality that he has, and also uh, how he leads the press to some extent. Uh, so I got Callum O'Hare of Coventry. I'm going to look at Wickham here, and I think if Sam Vokes was injured for a prolonged period of time, they might struggle. So important to the way that they move the ball upfield and keep the ball uh, in the opposition third. And I'm not sure that Bayo is necessarily going to fill that gap if he has to play and start every game. In League 2 for me, it is Port Vale captain Tom Conlon. 
who I think is just crucial. Again, a bit like O'Hare. He's got the extra bit of quality that helps Port Vale uh, generate chances. Um, he's got brilliant set-piece delivery, scores free kicks, sets up chances from set-piece delivery, uh, set-piece situations. I think if Condon was out for a long time, we would see Port Vale's ability to create chances drop pretty significantly. Any thoughts, George? Yeah, my three, uh, Rob Dickey, QPR. Um, we've seen uh, how important them this being defensively sound is to their form. And I think Dickey going would... Um, yeah, would would make them struggle in that respect, and probably concede too many goals uh, to continue to challenge. Also, in the championship, I think Ben Brereton Diaz is the other one for Blackburn. Um, where I'm not sure I'm taking the promotion ambitions a little bit looser than you are, but given their start, I think if they were to lose him, they would lose all the goals that would necess- that would lead to a promotion push. Uh, and then I think Dapo Afalayan for for Bolton as well, uh, a team who are performing way above what we thought. A player who is just you know, he scored seven goals. He gets them on the front foot every opportunity. He looks to me at the moment to be one of the best players in League One. Uh, and I think if they lost him, they would lose that dimension of their attacks as well. And last but not least, in your opinion, what is the best biscuit? I like, I mean, it's the most middle class answer I'm ever going to give in my whole life. I like rounds from M&S. What are they? They're, little, they're like biscuits covered in chocolate, but they're just very good. Hmm. Interesting. Next time you're in a station... Go to M&S, buy yourself some rounds. Well, to show that we're not just focusing on M&S, uh, I'd like to put forward Cars Cheese Melts because I'm a, I'm not really a sweet tooth guy. I'm a savoury guy. So for me, it's a cheese biscuit, Cars Cheese Melts, the best bit of, bit of comped on that. Mm, yes, please. Um, as for sweets, I always quite liked a custard cream as a kid, but you don't see many of them these days, do you? No. Game's no. gone. Game's gone in the biscuit world. Uh, and I used to go to Scotland a lot as a kid and you canny beat a wee bit of shortbread. Good accent. Thanks very much, George. What fun. This has been the NTT20 podcast, the Monday pod sponsored by Betfair. What a busy weekend it was in the EFL. Hopefully our breakdown has made some sense. Uh, If you've enjoyed it, please share it on social media. We're always looking to reach new ears and we know that there are many out there. So please do help us find them. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Join the NTT20 squad if you want to be a part of the biggest community of EFL nerds and or legends. Uh, that's available there is a monthly subscription fee but you can try a two-week free trial to check out what's going on on there uh, before you are on the hook for the monthly subscription fee the link to join is in the description of this podcast and it would be great to see you there we will be back on thursday to preview a reduced docket on the betting show Uh, not a lot of efl action this week but we're going to be deep diving into leagues one and two next week have a great week go well